This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. Facebook is all about building towards a greater tomorrow. So I asked product designer Steven Song where he sees Facebook going into the future. So Facebook is still growing a lot, and especially in the use of late, there's a lot of you know focus put on to trust and quality and reducing the amount of risk on our platform. So I feel like in the future, um, I think Facebook will still be moving at a really fast pace because that's kind of in the DNA of the company. And I think in the future, the management and leadership starts to you know take the stance of um, making sure that we prioritize the right kinds of things. And um, who knows? Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. Are you looking for a job? Are you looking to hire someone for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. This week, Glitch is looking for the following positions. A front-end developer, a community health engineer, a developer advocate, and a DevOps engineer. These positions are for their New York City office, but remote candidates are welcome to apply. If you're looking to diversify your designer dev teams, post your job listings with us. For just $99, your listing will be on our job board for 30 days, and we'll spread the word for you throughout our podcasts and our weekly job alerts. Get started with us and expand your job search today. Revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, I wanted to talk about BitCon 2018. Now, back when I was at XOXO last month in Portland, people were asking me if there's a black tech conference out there, and well, now there is. BitCon 2018 is the premier event for black professionals in the tech industry. There's going to be over two dozen workshops, there's networking parties, there's a career fair, there's a pitch competition for startups, and a whole lot more. There's over 40 speakers, including two guests that were on Revision Path, Antoinette Smith and Saran Yitbarik. And trust me, you don't want to miss it. It takes place October 11th through the 13th in Minneapolis, and tickets are still available. Head on over to bitcon2018.com and get your tickets today. That's B-I-T-C-O-N-2018.com. Let's help make this a success, y'all. We need more of these kinds of events out there. All right, now let's talk about our sponsors, Glitch, Google Design, and MailChimp. Glitch is the friendly community where everyone can discover and create the best stuff on the web. I'm talking cutting-edge VR experiences, smart bots, useful tools to solve problems at work, apps that advance important causes. I mean, you name it, you can pretty much find it on Glitch. People have built over a million projects there waiting for you to discover them, and new ones are popping up every day. So what are you waiting for? Get started on making something awesome today at Glitch.com. Google Design is a cooperative effort led by designers, writers, and developers at Google. They work across teams to publish original content, produce great events, and foster creative and educational partnerships that advance both design and technology. For more information on news, design resources, and their design podcasts, check them out at design.google. MailChimp is the world's leading marketing platform for small businesses. By the way, did you get a chance to check out their new rebranding with the yellow and the graphic illustrations and the new typefaces? I like it. I think it's dope. People have been saying other stuff. I really like it anyway. But I think what's even better about MailChimp is that they make innovative and beautiful products that serve millions of customers around the world. And they give you the tools and the resources you need to find your people, grow your business, and just make smarter choices about what you do. Sign up for a free account today and give it a try. MailChimp. Send better email. Now for this week's interview. We're talking to UX UI designer and developer Courtney LaPrince. Let's start the show. All right. So tell us who you are and what you do. So I am Courtney LaPrince, and I am a UX UI developer designer for the Home Depot here in Atlanta, Georgia. Nice. What's a typical day like for you working at the Home Depot? I, I feel like there's a lot of people here that work for Home Depot. It's like a, a handful of companies here that a lot of people work for. It's like Home Depot, 
AT&T, Turner, etc. But but what's it like for you at Home Depot? Well, so far I just started. So that has been quite an interesting thing to say the least. Uh, I've been getting onboarded for the past month. So I joined last month and late August. And it's been very, very interesting. You know, didn't have all of the, the things I needed. There was a lot of turnover and some some different contracts and all of those things that needed to be signed. But now that I'm here and it's officially done, I'm like, yay me. But typically, I guess so far it's been I come in, have a few different tasks that I'm working on. So right now we're working on a an internal portal system where I'm doing the the UI designs and the UI developments of that. And we're mostly working within Angular 6 at the moment. So it really just depends. So like I could come in and they have a task. Hey, we want you to change this look and feel right here and integrate it with the code. Or, hey, we need you to create some wireframes for another particular internal system that we have, or, hey, we want you to come to a lot of meetings. So it really just depends. But most of it has been me working on this internal portal and doing the development into integration for their own specs, as well as some additional UI designs. Now, do you work on a a pretty large team? I don't. (laughs) So I think that we, it's about... Well, I guess what constitutes large, but I think we're about on site. We have about seven. There's as far as uh, developers and business analysts and things like that. As far as UI developers and designers like myself, there's two or three of us. And then we also have some offshore team in India that is about, I think, four, maybe. And I don't think any of them are doing the designing or anything. I think they're doing a lot of implementation. So maybe a little bit more front-end UI development. But as far as the actual designs of it, it's between me and another guy. Okay. And so right now with the work that you're doing, it sounds like you're doing some coding as well as doing some some UX work, as you mentioned, having to work with Angular. Is that right? Yes, yes. I've been fortunate enough. My background is actually in graphic design. That's where I kind of started and got my degree. And I've been very fortunate that even while in school, I kind of really liked the whole web development or the web designing the part of it to the point that we had a, a, a teacher and she was more of the, the web designer. She's like, I just design. I send all the code to my partner. And where I'm like, well, we're supposed to know some code too. Like, how will we be able to talk to the developers or front and back enders? So it's her main thing was always, I just design. I don't code. So it just turned out that a lot of times in class, I would end up teaching my class the coding aspects as well as other people. So I've been very, very fortunate so much in my career that because I kind of learned that aspect in college and then kind of took it with me, that pretty much every opportunity that I've been doing so far has allowed me to do code and design. And then the past couple of years, I've really started transitioning more into uh, web development and doing a little bit less graphic design or designing. But now I'm kind of at this hybrid where I do uh, a little bit of uh, both, depending on what's needed for the project or clients or whatever the case may be. Yeah, I mean, back in the day when we were starting out with learning, you know, web design and stuff, you had to be a hybrid because there was no separation of the roles. Like if you designed a website, that means you designed it in Photoshop or PaintShop Pro or whatever, and you Mm -hmm. coded it. So it's I know now that you know there's certainly a distinction you can just do the graphics you can just do the code. Have you found that it's been better for your career to be able to kind of be that hybrid or um my gosh, yes. <laughs> 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 I have friends that only do design or only do development. And one of the things that we're noticing, especially my one friend, one of the things she's noticing a lot of is the fact that most jobs or any type of roles or whatever, most of them want you to not to have everything and the kitchen sink. And Mm -hmm. it's like, am I going to get two checks? Because it looked like two jobs (laughs) here. And I obviously am not going to get two checks. So that's a problem. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, you know, it's very interesting because 
you know, a lot of times I'm talking to her and I'm like, look, girl, you need to get down with coding. Like you need to be able to just, even if you just know the basics, HTML and CSS, and maybe a little bit JavaScript that would really help you in your career, because most jobs are looking for you to be able to design and develop. Not necessarily that you're going to be doing them both, but mostly because they want to be able to at least try to kill as many birds with one stone. If they had you doing the design and maybe a little bit of the front end, then their back ender or the person that does the front end could have a, a, you know, you can kind of transition that over to them without them having to start everything from scratch. Like, even if you just know the basics, it's good. So, you know, with me, it's like it's been really interesting and amazing, again, that, you know, it was like one job was like um, I worked at when I worked at my fact, when I worked at YP, they were like oh, okay, so we need you to be our direct marketing designer. And, you know, that was great and everything was good, going, going good. And they were like, wait, your resume say you know HTML, CSS, and JavaScript? Like you do? (laughs) Yeah, I do. Oh, good. We need you to come over here too. Uh (laughs) And then it's like, I also knew how to do use Flash and implementations of uh, animated banners and stuff like that. So I know how to use that. I do a lot of motion graphics as well too. Like After Effects is my favorite thing in the world. But they also saw that. They were like, oh, you know Flash? Really? Oh, we need you to do this too. So it's just been very amazing that even just having them extra skills that I've been able to and very fortunate to kind of know and learn has kind of got me to the place where I'm able to get more responsibilities, which I'm looking for, but then also I'm able to get more money and then mm-hmm. also able to do a, a little bit more. You know, I'm able to to keep uh, extending myself and keep going and keep growing. So from a junior to a senior or whatever. So yeah. That's that's been very very um, awesome to say the least. Yeah, so you've touched on you know I think a a couple of good points. One being that it's better to kind of generalize than perhaps specialize because, like you said, you're able to take that and apply it to a lot of different types of fields, get a lot of different kind of work. You know, of course, that means getting a lot more checks, which is always great. <laughs> uh, always but, great. Yeah, but I mean, I think also what what helps is that having that knowledge of design throughout those different types where you're coding, you're doing the graphics and all this sort of stuff, you kind of have a better idea of what the whole pipeline sort of looks like when it goes to building something. You know, if you were just a specialist that only did the design part, you wouldn't know if your designs were code ready, you know, or how long it would take for you to take that design and turn it into into code to put it up somewhere. So it's kind of good to be able to have all of that uh, that knowledge. I completely, completely agree. And I think you do, you, you know, you hit the nail on the, the, the head with that because that's one of the things that's, you know, those unrealistic expectations. And I've worked with plenty of people who have these unrealistic expectations about how long it's going to take to develop or how long it's going to take to design or how long it's going to take to do all of them. And it's just, it's been definitely really great that I know a bit more of it that I can be like, actually, it's not going to just take him an hour to build a site. That does not make sense. No, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely you can, not. You can scope uh, unless, it out a lot easier. Yeah, 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 unless you're talking about Wix or you want me to do something like, you know, just grab something and pull it together and just give you the really, really basics. But even then, that's going to take way longer than an hour. You know, so it's like I've had to work with people who are more business oriented, who are who are basically all about getting results, which is, is great. We should be we should be making out we should be getting results in the things that we're doing. But also you having these unrealistic expectations without talking to people who are actually doing it. Like you can't decide that a design is going to take this long without talking to a designer. You can't decide that a development process is going to take this long without talking to your front end back in all those different things you can't make those decisions just because so i've been very very fortunate that i know okay it's going to take this long to create a button it's going to take this long to make wireframes it's going to take this long to pass through the code and then you also got to take uh, you also got to think about unexpected things like breaking or the your web going down or whatever the case may be you got to you got to make sure you amount for incidentals as well too Yeah, I know back when I was really doing a lot of design work, clients would balk at the idea of wireframes. Like, I guess they just thought I was going to magically just create a website. And it's like, no, we got to sit down and talk about like what parts are more important. And then, you know, I would always try to give them the analogy of how the wireframes are like 
blueprint to a house mm-hmm. and that the mock-ups are like the artist rendering and then the, mm-hmm. the actual website is like the finished product. Exactly. But I try to tell them that to let them know that this is not a process that can necessarily go in reverse. So like I can't yes. build a house without schematics. You know what I mean? You know, that exactly. sort of thing. So, so with all of these different types of work that you're doing, is there a specific type of design that appeals to you the most? Definitely user experience. I think I like it mostly because, you know, you get to really think about people. And I took a couple of psychology classes and sociology classes in college, and I realized how interesting we as people are. And how a lot of times we, especially us as designers, whether that be graphic or whether that be visual or or UX or whatever the case may be, we tend to sometimes get to this point where we kind of lose our empathy and we basically build things that we want to have and not necessarily remembering that as people, we're all very, very unique and we all have, we're very peculiar and we have different things or different likes or whatever the case may be. Now, certain things are based going to, going to be basically off of our own cultural upbringings, values, whatever. I may like the color blue for this website and you may be like negative, actually a whole black grayscale may be better. It, you know, it's always going to be different the things like that, that is just basically going to amount from person to person. However, there are certain things that are definitely, you know, matters well when it comes to, to UX or when it comes to actually uh, standard things or whatever the case may be that doesn't always depend on how we as individuals do it but how how it goes from there so anyway i I like like i said i like the 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 user experience aspect because it allows me to think about many different peoples except myself or it allows me to build up and continue to build up my empathy and not be like well i think it's going to work like this because it's going to work like this it's Mm -hmm. like but what if i'm talking to my grandmother you know i built and i really learned that um years ago when my mom, I was showing my mom my website. I was like, hey, mom, come look at my website. I built it myself. I'm so proud. You should be proud. <laughs> <to me. laughs> it's amazing. You're going to like it. And I just sent her the link. I didn't necessarily go with it, over with it, and stuff like that. So it was basically a basic portfolio portfolio site where we have our, you know, our images. But, you know, if you are a designer, developer, or whatever, you know to click on it. So it was very flat design back then. And it was like, I knew that you need to click on it to see more work. You know, it's separated by different work, you know, whether that's typography or banners or whatever. It was separated by that, but it had images. And my mom did not know you were supposed to click it. My mom just looked at it and said, oh, this is nice. You just have those five pieces. Mom, I have made more. What are you talking about? What? Mm. And my aunt was the one was like, you got to click that. And then it pops up a modal so you can see more work. And it was one of those things where I really realized how important it is to think about everybody but myself. You know, it's like I knew that I was going to click it. I knew that, you know, my aunt, she knew that, too. But it's like there's going to be somebody like your grandmother or whatever who's going to be like, oh, so this is it. Okay, great. You know, it's like that kind of made me kind of really think even more. And that's why I'm like, again, really, I feel like I'm excelling in the UX because it's like, wow, okay, I you, you have to think about those particular things. No, that's a really, really good example. Um, when I think about uh, ways that I've had to do that with clients in the past, usually I'm doing that whenever I'm showing them the website and stuff, I'll try to walk them through it. Because oftentimes, mm-hmm. like you say, if you just send them the link, then they won't necessarily know how to navigate around so there's certainly like pros and cons to it i think certainly the pros of doing it with the user is to sort of guide them but then not every user is going to have you as a guide if they need to go through your website and figure out you know what to do so things like user testing are so important if i could shout that from the rooftop so every (laughs) potential client could know that user testing is important yes i swear every client i won't say every client but most clients that i've had I would always include user testing, but I would tell them like that's an extra cost, and it would be the first thing they'd want to get rid of. Why do we have to test? Why do we have? Why do we test with the users? Yeah, why do we have to have that? And it's like because you're not the primary user of your website. Thank you. Yeah, you're the owner of it, but like your main customers are not you. Exactly. So you have to have other people do it so you can know like what are your blind spots. And it kills me the times that I've done it, how 
angry sometimes the client will be or offended. Like, oh, well, they just don't know what they're doing. I'm like, that's the point. They don't know what they're doing. So why don't we illustrate this so we can show them what to do? Oh, well, they're just wrong. Are they wrong? Are they really? You know, like, why are you getting defensive about this? But, you know, that's a... I'm sorry, I'm venting right now. But <laughs> no, it's like... It's <laughs> clearly, so I, have like, a, I have a bone to pick about user <laughs> testing. Like, people need to be doing more of it, so... <laughs> no, you're so right, though. One of the... Um, so, one of my favorite books is The Design of Everyday Things. And <laughs> he said it then, because he was talking about that as well, how he would go to companies and, you know, he would talk to them about... Or he would walk through... What he would do is he would just kind of listen or walk through, just, just kind of stand back and just be a observer. And one of the things is he was talking about, you know, basically the good versus the bad of, you know, user experience and how, you know, you have so many people just like your said clients who would basically be like, they just don't know what they're doing. And he's like, or your user experience is a little bad. But again, it's like, that's completely right. The usability, user testing is very, 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 very important because a lot of times, again, that's why it's like one of the things that we as designers or developers or or business people or whatever, we have to build up our empathy to understand everything's not just about us. You know, yeah. we have to think about people as a whole. And just because I know how to do something does not mean you're going to know how to do something. Right. So I got to account for that. That's very true. Earlier, you talked about going to art school. You went to Moore College of Art and Design, which is in Philly. What was your time like there? Interesting, <laughs> but good interesting because I, my friends still talk about it to this day. I am the type of person that's very outgoing, so I'm going to talk to everybody. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you are a security guard, the janitor. I don't care who you are because I believe we're all humans. We're all people in general. So I, I would never be somebody that, you know, will walk past a receptionist desk and not say anything or mm-hmm. walk past the person who is cleaning the bathroom and not say hello or whatever because, again, you're do- they're doing their job just like you're doing yours. And, and who am I? I'm, I'm not better than anybody we're just all in different whatever so one of the things my friends just always tease me about it because everybody knew my name it's like oh, everybody knows you it's like i just talk to people y'all just be anti sometimes but you know you just talk to people so <laughs> you know i was cool with i was basically cool with everybody you know my school is very very small so more is probably about 500 students uh, all women's college and you know granted it's not it's not really hard to disappear I mean, it's not really hard to, you know, to to not to be known. It's not really hard because the school's so small. But at the same time, it's kind of is if you're not, you know, really integrating yourself with with other people. So anyway, I was that one that was like very excited about college. You know, I grew up where I grew up in foster care, and the amount of people who graduate from college as foster youth is very. The numbers is very, 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 very low, mm-hmm. and it's sad because. You know, while there's some reasons why I think college is not for everybody, I also think there's a lot of reasons why it is. You know, it just depends on what exactly you want to do and how you want to do those things. But for me, college and education was so important to me because, again, growing up at foster youth, the first thing they always going to say, oh, you want them foster kids. That means you, you know, oh. blah, you know, whatever type of statistics or whatever type of things that they wanted to say. And I had to be, for me, I felt like education was my way to be different. You know, I don't need to be, oh, that's that foster kid who is this or homeless or whatever the case may be. And then sometimes we are, you know, sometimes there are things that happen and situations that we necessarily cannot control. But for me, my escape was education. You know, I was very, very hell bent on uh, going to school. I was hell bent on learning. I was hell bent on being what they told me I wasn't going to be. And it was like, nah, I'm gonna be that. Um, okay. um, regardless of my past, I'm going to be that. So um, I was so excited to go to college. I was like, oh my gosh, yes, they accepted me. I am going to live my best whole life there. And I kind of jumped right in. So it was funny. All of them were basically like, wow, Courtney just came in and it's actually run the place. You know, I was just like kind of really jumped all in. I wanted to get to know everybody. I wanted to know the teachers or the professors. I wanted to know the other students. I wanted to integrate myself. I wanted to just learn as much as I can. And even though there were a lot of days there was like hard because of finances, you know, being a foster kid, you don't have 
a co-signer. So I was like, Lord, have mercy. I, I was very, 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 very blessed that I didn't have to worry about like any private, private loans. Like I just had the federal loans that you don't need a, a co-signer for, you know, those uh-huh. Pell Grants or whatever. And I'm not, you know, I had Pell Grants as well, but I had just the federal student loans, you know, you need co-signers for, and Lord knows I'm going to be paying them back forever. But nevertheless, it was like very, it was great because, you know, so I didn't have to worry about those financial aspects. So, but anyway, for me, college was very fun. You know, I was able to, again, integrate myself. I, I saw a lot of people. I learned a lot of things. And then I was able to take and integrate the learning that I had with other people as well, too. So I was a tutor for different things like motion graphics and web design. I also was the vice president of student government. I also was on our like student orientation team where, you know, we help the new incoming people to integrate and, and things like that. And I, you know, try to do just as much as of everything that I could. So college for me was like, yay, I want to go back. I'm going to try to figure out a way to go back. Well, I mean, it sounds like you definitely really made the most of your time there. I did. I did. I think, you know, uh, one of the things, and that's my little brother is in college. He's a freshman now at um, NCCU. And one of the things I tell him is that, you know, if you if you play it right, college will be the best time of your life. You'll meet your lifelong friends. You'll meet a lot of networking. And most importantly, the, the most important thing about college is that you have committed to yourself. That's a long commitment of money that you have to spend on, you know, whatever. But you've committed to yourself, but then also you will learn so much more about yourself and about other people because you will be, that's one of your first experiences outside of uh, high school where you're, you're meeting people who are very, very, very different than you. You know, people who may have a lot of money or people who may had to try to figure out what the heck they were going to do or whatever, but you're going to learn a lot about yourself and people. And that's one of the things that I, you know, was able to experience in college that I'm telling my brother, hey, you know, just just, just have fun and learn. Did, do you feel like more really kind of prepared you once you got out there in the working world? No. Okay. No, <laughs> no, no, let's talk about it. Why, why do you feel that's the case? Well, because, you know, one thing I realize is, is is college don't necessarily prepare you to do. Well, I guess college for me didn't necessarily prepare. It gave me the tools that I needed in the sense of, OK, so I understand how to work with some of these tools. But again, you can but you can use, you know, YouTube or whatever. I'm going to it's going to sound like I'm contradicting myself about college and how I feel about it. I, I think I went mostly have fun for the experience. But as far as like getting a job. I don't feel necessarily that more really, really uh, got me to the point where it's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get jobs, 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 jobs. I think what helped me uh, prepare myself for a job, because it's one of those interesting things about when you graduate, like even though you have your college degree and you've graduated and it's like, yay, I have this, you still don't know nothing. Like there's still so many things that you're learning on the job that you didn't even think about or you didn't even learn or you didn't even hear about in school at all. The one that I think the thing, and then you know, on other, on top of that, you're trying to get a job. You know, it's, it's understandable now why when the loans tell you you have six months to pay them back because it could take you that long to get a job, if not longer, because one of the things jobs want you to have is experience. Oh, I want you to have experience. You know, even though they put down college and stuff like that, but new grads have a hard time sometimes getting jobs because they're like, I want you to have experience. Well, how can I get experience if you don't give me experience? Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of those things that mm-hmm. your college degree doesn't necessarily give you experience. Now, what I will go back and say about more is that they forced or this mandated that your junior into your senior year, you have to do an internship. You absolutely have to. I don't care what course take or whatever, you have to. And I think that further prepared me to get out and get jobs because I had that internship experience. And then my internship, I was very lucky that my internship turned into a part-time job during the school year. So by the time I graduated, I had a year experience. So that really helped me to be like, okay, you're just not, you aren't just a college grad. You also have had experience working in the real world as well too. So I think 
um, while I personally love college for the experience, I think while you're in college, you do have to try to do different things, you know, whether that's internships or volunteers or volunteer work or whatever the case may be, just to give you that uh, extra bump of experience because, you know, unfortunately, that's the one thing that their jobs are always talking about. We need to have experience, 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 experience. And it's like, mm-hmm. again, how can I expect to get experience if you don't give me experience? And college gives us those that degree that we need that unfortunately, sometimes that degree doesn't really help us get a job either. So it's like, that's why it's like you need experience of some sort. But now once you had that experience from doing those internships and you you got out there, what was kind of the early moments of your career like? So my first, first job, I went to California. Once I graduated, I was like, I have to go to California. So I went to California and I worked at Epicure Digital. It's a multimedia company, do a lot of menu uh, boards and interaction design. And I was surprised that I got the job, to be honest, because it was like, well, not necessarily was surprised in my in my abilities, but more so surprised that, you know, how fast it was. Like I literally interviewed with them on like a Tuesday and they called me Wednesday, said you got the job. And I started, I think, Thursday. So wow. it was very, uh, very, very fast, very interesting. But one of the things was it was a bunch of learning. So I learned a lot. So, you know, I started learning more things. So like, for instance, I didn't know Flash before I got to to working at uh, Epicure. I didn't know that at all. I didn't know how to do any type of different aspects of how the design process goes and, and things like that. And, uh, you know, that was all taught to me. So I must say it wasn't hard because I ended up I'm one of those people that I like working in a sense because I, I besides like I like to make money, but I also like doing stuff. And I feel like, you know, if you put a task in front of me, I'm going to do it. I'm going to learn it. I'm going to figure it out until I'm blue in the face. I'm going to figure out how to do this. And my first job, it wasn't that it wasn't necessarily that hard. The thing that I think was the hardest for me is the fact that it was only it was a very small company. So it was like five of us. And my man, my boss at the time, he was very much like, he was very much a type A person. I'm not type A. He's very much a type A. And he's like, you know, what is this? When, when is it coming? What's blah, 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 blah. And one day he said to me that what I was talking about didn't make sense. You know, also I'm a researcher and all those good things. So I'm like trying to figure, because like I said, if it's a task that I need to figure it out, I'm going to figure out how to do it and what's not going to work or why it's not going to work or whatever the case may be. And he had said something like, I don't believe you. I don't think you're doing it right or whatever the case may be. <laughs> and I had to actually prove my point to him. And he, and, and since then it was like, from me proving my point to him, he was kind of like, oh, okay. So I guess, all right. So he didn't give me no problems anyway. As a matter of fact, he gave me a raise after like three months. But um, nice. I must say that, you know, having that extra internship or whatnot, my, my first job wasn't as, traumatizing as some people's are with, you know, coming so quickly out of school and all that good stuff. But he was, you know, I, I learned a, a lot more in those, uh, in the, that time that I was there. Okay. So let's kind of, you know, switch gears here a little bit. I know that, like you say, that your early career was kind of you figuring things out and it sounds like you've moved around a lot of places to wherever the work is. And now you've just recently moved to Atlanta. Why did you decide to come here? <laughs> Funny story. I was here before in 2015, and I worked 2000, yeah, 2015, and I was working for YP. To be honest, I'm actually surprised I'm back here. To be completely honest and transparent, okay. because when I was first here, I did not like Atlanta at all. I was like, oh no, and oh. I think I probably stayed like seven months or something. Uh huh. And I just, or, you know, nine, eight, nine months, something like that. And I just did not like it at all. That when I first got there, so a, a lot of my family's here, like my mom, dad, sister, niece, like everybody's here, my grandma, a bunch of cousins. I have cousins other places too, but they all are mostly, for the most part, are either between Atlanta, North Carolina, and South Carolina. So within that three triangle, and then we got some family in like Philly and and New York as well too, and also in Chicago. But for me to come back this time around, I came back because 
I'm looking forward to the next chapter, you know, family, you know, like my own personal family and settling yeah. down and stuff. And what I realized is that I have been moving around a lot and it's exhausting. You know, I was coming mm-hmm. from New York and, you know, it just so happened, you know, uh, you know, I worked at IBM. And unfortunately, things didn't work out the way that I had hoped it would have worked out. And when that happened, I was in New York and I had thought to myself for a long while, I was like, do I like New York enough to stay? Mm. Like, do I, you know, because my thought process was I was going to settle down. Now, granted, I had always told myself anyway that New York wasn't going to be my settled down place because I wanted to, you know, I wanted to own land and I wanted to do all these other different things. And I didn't like the subway at all. Still don't. I would rather be in my car <laughs> than I'm back here now. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I like the car either. So it's like, it's very different. <laughs> but <laughs> for the most part, you know, I'm like, you know, Okay, I was I was sure, and I had to think to myself for a while if I felt my heart clinging at New York, and it wasn't. Hmm. And I don't didn't really want to go anywhere else and stuff. And I had figured that I kind of for the longest time kind of ran away from my family, you know, kind of wanted to do my own thing, wanted to be far, wanted to do this. And like I said, I'm looking forward to the next chapter. And one of the things they don't tell you when you move around so often is that trying to form relationships with people is going to be hard because you're moving around a lot. Yeah, um, You haven't settled yourself to really, really get to know somebody yeah. or really even whether that be friends, relationship, whoever, you haven't really settled yourself enough to do that. And um, I realized that I didn't want to stay in New York and... I have a four-year-old niece and love her to pieces, and I wanted to make sure that I'm a part of her life. And my mom, like I said, mom, dad, brother, everybody's here. So I figured, you know, maybe, just maybe, this settle-down moment would be here. I'm still not completely sure, but it's not. I'm not hating it like I was the last time. Well, you know, there's a, I don't know, there's there's some saying about how Actually, that's the wrong saying. I was going to say, there's a saying that says familiarity breeds contempt. That's not the saying I was going for. <laughs> um, but I, I'm curious, like you said, you didn't, you didn't like Atlanta and I'm not here to be an Atlanta cheerleader in any way, but <laughs> this second time around, what are you finding different than the first time? For one, I can, I, um, I feel like I've grown. So for one, I I started that time and I needed to, to kind of grow. And I feel like I have grown a a lot more. And I think at the time it was more like a a sabbatical that ended up being a, a longer stay. And whereas now I'm actually made the choice to come here. My mm-hmm. mindset is completely, completely different than what it was in the past. And I think that, I think it's also that I've, you know, I realized that what I need to do, I didn't do last time. I didn't take the time to kind of familiarize myself with things. For, for instance, I just went to work and went home. That's about it. I maybe went out to maybe a couple of things. I had some, I have cousins here and I hung out with them, but I didn't really take the time for me personally to get to know Atlanta or to get to know some of my surroundings or even to get to know anything, to be honest. And I think this time around, that's completely changed where I'm like, you know what, I need to to get to know uh, Atlanta. And then I, I feel also that entrepreneurship for the Black community especially is really vast here, which is great. And it will allow me to expand on my business or even just get to the point where maybe in a, a year or two I'm I'm having the the thought process where I'm trying to decide between keeping my full time job or I have so many clients that I actually I don't even I, I can't necessarily yeah. do that. And I feel like uh, Atlanta and how it is would would help for that. So I think, you know, what changed for me is that that growth process that evolving where I kind of realized that you know, your time is made not necessarily by people, but how you feel about yourself and inside and, you know, all those other things that um, matter more. And I had to recalibrate my thought process and I feel a lot more settled and not in the sense of like settled, settled, but you know, a lot more settled and peaceful than I did. So talk about your, your company. So the audience can, you know, definitely know more about what it is that you do and, what sort of services you're offering? 
Yes, of course. My company is called Inspire, Motivate, Design, Creative Studio. And I started it last year, last February, when I lived in D.C., because one of the things that I realized is that I wanted to, it's, it's no thing like having your own. And I love the design and I love development and things like that. So one of the things we offer is UX, UI design and development, web development, also branding. Um, as I say, I'm a graphic designer by heart, by trade. And you know, also, you know, different little consultations with that. So whether we're doing some some brand identities or we're making some posters for you or we're doing some motion graphics as well, too. But then also a lot of UX, UI design and development as well, too. So, you know, again, it was it was one of those things where I realized that I don't want to work for someone for the rest of my life again not that it is anything wrong with that for people who do but for me I realized that there's certain things about my personality that I'm like um no I need to just do this myself because (laughs) you're making me mad right now and your whole thought process does not make sense and I no. And then it's just like other things like clients. Like I could pick and choose my clients versus when, when I work for somebody, I can't pick and choose that. Like if I work for the devil and my uh, a full-time job, I can't pick and choose that. But at least in my own company, I'd be like, oh, no, no, negative. What you want, I can't offer. But I can give you some recommendations, but I can't do this. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's a, a for me, it was just a little bit more freeing. So the goal and the hope for in, uh, Inspire, Motivate, Design, Creative Studios that um, hopefully will be a, a real full-fledged, all-in-all design agency, creative studio in the next few years. Okay. Hopefully less. Fingers crossed. How's business been going so far? So far, um, it's been going steadily. It's been moving up steadily. I have a couple of clients that I've been working with on uh, various little projects and stuff like that. The goal for me is the next thing is for me to kind of bring in somebody who can do the administrative work because I also realize that that ain't my life at mm-hmm. all. I would probably, if I, yeah, that's not my life. So you got to know your lane, and my lane is not administrative or accounting or none of that. I know how to do it. I can do it, but that's not my lane. So that's the next goal is to to bring somebody in um, fairly soon to keep getting clients and hope for me is to work with more corporations as well, too. Okay, cool. Well, hopefully for people that are listening, they'll, uh, they'll go and check you out. And we'll have, you know, at the end of the episode, we'll have links to where people can go in and check you out. So yes, please do. Yeah. So we're doing this episode during... LGBT month. And I'm curious to kind of know, how does your identity inform the work that you do or don't do, I should say? I mean, I know we've just gotten to talking about entrepreneurship, but in general, because you have all of these skills, this kind of makes you someone that can work in a variety of different places. How does your identity as a black lesbian and a designer inform the work that you do? I would actually say that I don't see it informing anything. I think for me, that's who I am, but that's not the only thing that I am. You know, I'm a designer, I'm a developer, you know, we already talked about these things anyway, but it hasn't been like, oh yeah, let's go to Courtney, the gay one or whatever Mm -hmm. the case may be. That hasn't been my experience. I haven't felt any discrimination based off of, of my sexuality at all, actually. So I don't, that never actually is a question that kind of comes up at all, you know, but I have worked with companies who tend to be a bit more diversified and who are all about inclusion and diversity, whether that be culture or ethnicity or sexual orientation. I have been fortunate that I've worked with companies that value the fact that although we're different, we all deserve a place wherever. So I haven't actually had uh, moments where it's like it's really uh, affected my work anyway. I think if anything, for me, I tend to be to be, you know, one of those people that want to to work with, you know, more people who are like myself. You know, I've always as as somebody who's in the design and the tech field, I'm always looking for for women to work with one number one especially being in the tech field number one for me as women because the amount of women is is very 
in the tech field is very low. And then on top of that, black women are very low as well, too. And I'm glad there's so many different companies that are actually realizing, hey, we don't have enough of that. Like I've been in a lot of companies where I tend to be the only black girl on the team, sometimes even the only black, only only girl anywhere. And then lesbian, woo, let's not even talk about that, too. But <laughs> I've always been, you know, one of the only. And so for me, my biggest thing is working with people who are very similar to me. And in the sense of, you know, ethnicity and the creativity field or the tech industry, because there's such a disproportionate amount of us compared to the majority of, you know, white and male oriented. So if anything, I think that's one of the things that I, I think I strive for being not only, you know, black and a woman and a lesbian, but it's also that there are more people who look like myself. Because I must admit, working in corporations or jobs or whatever, where you tend to only be the one that you see can be very lonely and siloed. You know, you're, you're, you don't see anybody else like you. So, you know, and it's not imperative that you do, but in some way you do need to, to see a representation of yourself too. You know, even if you think about higher ups and management and CEOs or whatever the case may be, for me, I strive to find, you know, inspiration or whatnot from people who are up there as well too. And I think that's one of the things that is why I, I really am so so hell-bent on, you know, being successful as someone because there are people that's coming up behind me who will need to see more people like me who are in or like them who are in certain aspects because I feel like sometimes we get to this place where at least for me, from what I saw, especially in some corporate America places where the board members and the CEOs and everybody is, is totally different from me. And that's like, OK, so are you saying that I can't get that far? You know, and it's like, so I think that if anything, that kind of pushes a little bit of my work being kind of black woman and gay. And it's like, OK, but I need to see more people in higher authority places who mm-hmm. are like me. Well, I got to say, being in Atlanta, you've come to the right place. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I don't mean that in a joking way. I mean, honestly, like we do have a very, I mean, aside from just having a big black population in terms of entrepreneurship and business, we've also got a big gay population too. And so you will have, you know, black gay people or black lesbians or people that are in all, you know, kind of walks of business and things like that, that are everywhere. So it's interesting how Atlanta is a good city for that, but yet like we're in this very red state yes you know and and it's it's an interesting well it's sort of interesting dichotomy aside from just the whole like that that we just talked about but as more companies push for diversity and inclusion like you've mentioned i wonder how that gels with companies that are right to work states like georgia where you could be fired for your sexual orientation or any number of types of things that would also fall under the umbrella of diversity and inclusion do you know what i mean I feel like that's a weird, that's a weird sort of, I mean, it's good that we're having this conversation, at least companies are having this conversation about it now, but I know like back when I worked at, God, how long ago was this? This was like 2004, I used to work at Auto Trader and I knew, I knew people there that were fired for being gay. Yeah. Like, like they were there one day and they were gone the next. Yeah. Like it was nothing. And Now, as these sorts of companies are pushing for, oh, we need to have a more diverse workforce and stuff, it's like, how do they square that circle? I know that's kind of a big question to ask. I'm not asking you to to answer that, but that's something that I think about, certainly, because I get roped into, you know, those kinds of conversations here. And I'm like, but there's still a lot of, like, workplace discriminatory things that are legal in Georgia. You know, if we were in New York, this would be a different story or in California, but I don't know. That's That's a... (laughs) <laughs> no, I, I completely agree question. with you. I, I completely agree with you. And I, I think that, you know, it's one of those things where I, for me anyway, I think about, so do I pick a job at a place that may be more diversified or, you know, has that in there? And I must admit, I do, you know, take a look at, at some of those things. But definitely now being back in Georgia, it is very interesting where because we are very much a red state. I mean, Atlanta is probably the the one of the most blackest cities in Georgia at, at the moment. But 
it is nevertheless very interesting because we still are uh, right to work. But isn't uh, I think uh, aren't a lot more states kind of right to work these days too? It's and like it's, it's nineteen or twenty states that are like that. It's a good number. Yeah, and it is very it is very interesting nonetheless. I think you know it's one of those things that I think the great thing is is that you know especially after your time in two thousand and four and now we're here in two thousand eighteen. Not to say that it's been such a whole leap of of differences because it's still not, but mm-hmm. I do think it's a very commendable, amazing, or whatever the case may be, that there are more and more companies that are realizing or that are, who are not, who are finding more ways to be diversified and inclusion. I mean, because we can even think about, you know, 50 years ago, we had to deal with this just being black, you know, forget being gay. I mean, hey, yeah, that's, black. that's... It was like, how do we get a job yeah. when we're being told that because we're black, we should not be working or, you know, hell, like, the 55 years, 60, almost 60 years ago, we had to worry about voting. So it's like, you know, it's those things that I do feel like there's this, there's always that time where things starts to shift. Now, again, still we have this, we're still in 2018 and still we do have things that we have to worry about as black people. Sure. Mm -hmm. But not nearly as much as we did 50 years ago. So hopefully, you know, this is a testament to even the sexual orientation piece of we don't in the future still we don't have to worry about that as well. And even then, still, we think about 10, 14 years ago, it was still a little bit more difficult. And now it's not to say, again, it's easy, but to say that we've kind of reached another plateau. And I think that. Uh, hopefully, as we continue to go, and you know, the millennials, that generation X and Zs and whoever generation they are, you know, as more and more of us are are speaking up and things like that, hopefully there will be continued growth and the success and, you know, where hopefully skin color and sexual orientation will not be a, a thing that we have to worry about at all. So hopefully my grandkids maybe my my children hopefully they will just have to to really go back and we was, we're at the place where you know think about when Martin Luther King uh Jr said you know where we're judged by the contents of our character you know, I'm looking I'm shooting for that I'm hoping for that my god it has only been like about 50 or 60 years since those things that's exactly. that's so that's so crazy to think cuz like like my mom is, let's see, I'm 37. My mom is 67, mm-hmm. 68, something like that. She just retired not too long ago. Oh, and I, and I remember like, like she, I mean, she started work in the seventies, like 74, mm-hmm. 75, like right out of college. And it, yeah, it is amazing to even think about like, you know, just 50 years ago, it was already difficult to just be black and get a job. And now there's exactly. all these other kinds of things. I mean, in a way it's, I guess, a testament to the way that, you know, the government and laws are changing, but then it's mm-hmm. also like some things are still the same 50 exactly. years later. So it's, wow, damn, that, that just. Right. It, that just <laughs> like, Ooh, wait a minute. <laughs> Has it really been like that? Yeah. My goodness. So, I mean, I, I guess it goes to show, I mean, granted again, it's not, to say that we're anywhere where we should be but just growth you know and unfortunately it's taken 50 years and we're still not necessarily there so you know hopefully it's not another 50 years but you know nevertheless it's you know it shows progress you know i I definitely say that uh, i definitely see progress being made in all fronts and you know even for for us being black for uh, for me being a woman as well you know even when you think about things like pay gaps that we still have to think about and then being you know your sexual orientation and you know you let's not forget that there are other things that you have to think about like disability and stuff like that that there's still you know a lot of we still have things to to think about or worry yeah. about in, in, in all facets, but um, there's definitely progress. And that's, that's where that hope, you know, never fails us at, you know, we're seeing progress. So what is it that keeps you motivated and inspired to continue your work? Is it that, that sense of progress? For me? Yes. It, it's definitely a sense of progress for, for me completely, because I think about, you know, even for me, I think about, how I am a much more evolved designer developer than I was just five years ago, you know, just two years ago, hell, just a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that there's the thing that helps me is the fact that it feels 
temporary, you know, like, and nothing's ever really permanent. And the things that are constant is change. Change is always constant. It's always going to happen. You know, how much change, there's really the conundrum there, but change is going to happen. Uh, for me, it, you know, the thing that keeps me going is like, okay, my gosh, it's been, it's progress. And, you know, you have to keep going and keep shooting for that progress. Because again, for me, I think about kids who are coming up behind me or even my kids, you know, I don't want my future children to have to worry about things if they're girls like pay gaps or if they're gay or if they're black or whatever the case may be. I don't want to have to, them have to worry about them things or if they have the disability or whatever the case may be. I don't have them to think about, oh my gosh, am I going to get a job? Am I going to, is somebody going to help me or whatever the case may be? I myself have to, I tell myself, you know, this is temporary. We're still, I'm moving towards something. And as long as the little bit is changing. I'm not insane, you know, <laughs> and I'm, I'm past that brink of insanity because just a little thing is changing. Yeah. Um, so that's how I, I keep it, keep it moving. And then, you know, to be honest, I, I must admit that mentally I have this picture of, of, of my childhood growing up in foster care, you know, not really having my mom or my dad and, you know, having to go through so many different obstacles. And, you know, for me, it's that mental picture in my head that like, you know, wow, like you've overcome them and you're still overcoming. Like, my gosh, keep going. Don't stop. When when you become stagnant is when that overcomes you, but don't you know, overcome it. Keep going, keep going. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's so many different things that's pushing me, but, you know, it's the ability to adapt and to be flexible, but then to also keep moving forward. You know, I love that movie, Meet the Robinsons, keep moving forward. <laughs> what is some advice that has stuck with you over the years? Like any, any advice that anyone has given you, like a mentor or anything? Oh my gosh, so many. <laughs> I can think about so many from dating to, to career to, to whatever. Um, we'll say like, yeah, like, like career and life advice. Like what's, what sort of uh, advice has really stuck with you over the years? For career, you know what? The one in general that has always stuck with me and I take it with me everywhere I go is that one that all of us know is um, closed mouths don't get fed. Okay. And it's, it's like I said, it's very, very general, but it's that aspect of speaking up. It's that aspect of letting what you need or want or whatever be known, you know, communi- it's that communication. And for me, that stuck with me a bunch where, you know, I think about career wise or, you know, in general and how I have to be able to, you know, articulate what I want and need or, or mm-hmm. whatnot. And I think that one, and I think the reason that one, then there's so many, again, I have so many other ones, you know, I'm a big fan of quotes in general. And one of my favorites is Marianne Williams, Williamson, I love that. We are not in, inadequate. That whole sonnet that, uh, of course, uh, Nelson Mandela had said, you know, that's one of my favorites. But I think that I think that the, the reason that Cole's mobs don't get fed is uh, always stuck with me because as a kid, I was very timid. I was very, you know, I didn't necessarily express the things that I wanted, what I wanted to do, how I wanted help. And there's sometimes that that had kind of stuck with me. And sometimes it happens even now where it's like, well, how will we know what you need if you're not saying nothing? Or how will we know what you're thinking if you're not saying nothing? Or whatever the case may be. And again, That was something that, again, you know, my grandma used to say all the time, close mouths don't get fat, close mouths don't get fat. And it <laughs> stuck with me because of that. You know, it stuck with me because, you know, you have to be able to speak up. And again, the worst that anybody can say is no. That's the absolute worst. And then yeah. you can make your plan. And that's actually one uh, advice that a mentor of mine has said to me for years, you know, be able to speak up for what you want, because the worst thing that they can say is no. Mm-hmm. And if they say no, then you you need to figure out if that is okay with you. And if that no is not okay with you, then you need to think about your next plan or you need to think about what's going to be okay with you. Being afraid, and for so long I was always afraid. I was afraid of taking risks. I was afraid of, of failing. I was afraid of whatever. And it's it's interesting because even though I was afraid, I kept pushing through. But it's that you know you need to speak something. You need to talk. You need to you know because again the worst thing they can say is no, and yeah. then you make your decision from there. 
where do you see yourself in the next five years? I know that it sounds like Atlanta somewhere that you want to really put down roots and hopefully I'm not, you know, overstating by saying that, but in the next five years, where do you want to be in terms of just a different place in general? Oh my gosh, Maurice, you're overstating. And oh my gosh, you now got me here. Like (laughs) you got me here now. Now it's going to be like, he said it. So you're going to be here in five years. I am actually hoping for a couple of things. As far as where I live at, I'm not completely sure. It'd be great. You know, I do have plans as of right now. You know, I'm saving up to buy a house. So I do have plans that, you know, when that has finally matriculated, it will be probably here in the Georgia area or whatnot, especially in Atlanta. Um, again, because I said I have family. So that that would probably be number number one. I'm personal wise, hopefully married and maybe a kid or something. But career wise, I definitely want to be in this place where I am. My business is completely full running and I am just working for my business. I hope that by then as well, I have many, many, many employees and that we're one, a place to go to for creative needs or whatever that may be. And then personally, I just hope to, to, to continue to evolve. You know, I know, you know, all again, change is constant. As we grow up, we should be evolving and we should be learning and we should be growing. So I think the main thing that I would love to do, hopefully within these five years, is like have a TED talk. I would love to do that or be like the top 40 under 40 kind of thing. So we'll okay. see if those things come to pass, too. <laughs> okay. Well, cool. Well, Courtney, just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online? Of course. So I have my personal website, www.inspiremotiv8 design.com. Then also I'm on Instagram. You can find me at courtsb with uh, a Z for quartz and then two E's for B, like honeybee. And um, I guess I'm on Twitter too, uh, C LaPrince Designs as well too. All right, sounds good. Well, Courtney LaPrince, I want to thank you so much for for coming on the show. Thank you really for just sharing uh, your journey. Like I had no idea before we had really gotten started just how much you had overcome to get to where you are now. So I think certainly, you know, talking about your background, having been in foster care and then taking advantage of these opportunities in college. It really sounds like you're someone that is super passionate, that works really hard to get what they want. So I really feel like, you know, now that you're here in Atlanta, those goals that you've set for the next five years, I mean, I think you're going to hit them. I really do. I mean, just based on what I've heard from your your tenacity and your willingness to learn, I think is really something that is is super inspiring and motivating. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Oh my gosh. Thank you for thinking of me. I really appreciate just, you know, being able to just again talk a little bit uh, about me and I'm, I'm really glad to have met you and stuff. So I'm like, this is an honor for me to just be able to to share with, with someone of your caliber. Oh my gosh. My gosh. Thoughts of love are and that's it for this week. Big thanks to Courtney LaPrince and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Courtney and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Also, thanks as always to our sponsors, Facebook Design, Glitch, Google Design, and MailChimp. Did you know that people spend over 3 billion minutes daily on Facebook? I mean, with an audience of over 2 billion users, that's pretty impressive. People use Facebook to share and connect with the people they care about, and their experience is the core of the Facebook Design team. Sound interesting? Then learn more about Facebook Design and what they do at facebook.com forward slash design. Glitch is the friendly community where everyone can discover and create the best stuff on the web. If you're new to Glitch, then just pop on over to the homepage and explore some of the featured projects or categories to try it out. It's like a familiar app store, but almost everything is created by regular people like you. I mean, students just learning how to code to even some of the best programmers at the biggest tech companies. They're all using Glitch, and they're ready to help each other out if they get stuck. Ready to get started? Then visit glitch.com today. Google Design is a cooperative effort led by designers, writers, and developers at Google. They work across teams to publish original content, produce great events, and foster creative and educational partnerships that advance both design and technology. 
For more information on news, design resources, and their design podcasts, check them out at design.google. MailChimp is the world's largest marketing automation platform. They support millions of customers from small e-commerce shops to big online retailers, and they support the creative community as well, including us. MailChimp really gives you the marketing tools to be yourself on a bigger stage. Visit MailChimp.com and sign up for a free account today. MailChimp. Send better email. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Marius Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Mandre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you liked this episode, then please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It only takes a minute or two. It helps more people learn about the show here in the U.S. and internationally. It helps the show by bumping us up in the rankings there for design podcasts. And I'll even read your review right here on the show. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.